0: Welcome to the only one business show with me your host james nathan chatting to some of the uk's leading business professionals sharing tips insights and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger better and more profitable businesses as a result what can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients what exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello, and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, and a fabulous guest for you again today. This gentleman is an award winning speaker and internationally recognized leader in creativity and innovation. For over 20 years, he's been teaching entrepreneurs, educators, corporate leaders, writers, as well as rock stars how to be innovative organizations and design the creative life they desire. As the founder of C-School and host of the Creative Life podcast and TV show, he's taught thousands of individuals in over 120 countries through his online courses, books, videos, and keynote speeches. After advising some of the most creative individuals and companies ranging from Grammy Award-winning music artists, and best-selling authors to Silicon Valley startups and innovative multinationals, he designed a framework for creativity that helps individuals and organizations achieve exponential growth. His clients have included Apple, Yamaha, Sony, Bertelsmann, Johnson & Johnson, as well as high-profile one-on-one coaching clients. As an in-demand creativity expert, he's been featured in countless media outlets and was the subject of a thirty-minute BBC documentary about his life and his work. Please welcome James Taylor. James, how are you? Wonderful, lovely to lovely to speak with you today and to uh, to talk with your
1: your listeners. And uh, looking forward to getting into this.
0: Well, look, you know, it's uh, you're, you've you've had a fascinating background. Why don't you give us a little bit of a a history of James Taylor?
1: Sure. So I, I initially started, I come from the music industry. My, my father was a uh, professional jazz musician. My grandfather was a professional musician. Um, and so when I first left school, I actually became a professional musician. I was a, a jazz drummer. And then okay. I kind of realized that actually as much as I love music, um, I love business probably even more. Uh, so as I was kind of doing this, I actually started managing the careers of artists alongside playing. Um, right. And then from there, I started managing a number of uh, Grammy award-winning artists. We just talked, talked earlier about Tommy Emmanuel, great Australian artist. I um, started working with members of the Rolling Stones, uh, uh, managed a band called Deacon Blue that's all about six million albums, lots of different yeah, artists around yeah. the world. And that was all going great. And I was you know, enjoying just being, um, I guess, like a Svengali type person in the music industry. And then I get a call one day to be asked to move to Silicon Valley in about 2010. And that was to help launch a series of online academies, online schools. This was now online education was really just starting to take off. And so that I was I basically moved over to the to the Bay Area and got involved in the whole world of kind of online and online learning and technology. And then that got me really interested in things like artificial intelligence, machine learning. And because of those things, they kind of started coming together as you know, so many speakers we hear, it's really they've had these different journeys in their lives. And then there's a couple of threads gonna kind of start to come together. And for me, it was this mixture of creativity, human creativity and human potential and mm-hmm. things like artificial intelligence and uh, how it was possible now to augment human creativity with things like AI and machine learning and robotics. So that, that's kind of where I am now. So today I give, you know, 50 to 80 keynotes around the world. I think this year I've done 26 countries, I think so far right. in this year. Okay. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I have a phenomenal job, I can just get to go and travel around the world speaking to to lots of very big companies um, and medium sized companies, associations and governments, all about what the future looks like in this world of artificial intelligence. <laughs>
0: Do you know it's it's an area which um i'm sure we'll get into in quite some detail when you talk about creativity and then you talk about ai um you know some people throw their hands up in in horror that you know creativity is a human thing ai is a, bit, is, a is a machine thing um but ai well i guess not ai as we know it now but there's been interference in in human creativity for a very long time by using computers and and other stuff hasn't there
1: yeah i mean it's uh I mean, it's interesting that we, we, we go, we've been going through a spell more recently, uh, since about 20, 2010, actually 2011, probably around that period, where you actually started to see creativity levels around the world start to decline. Um, so right. IQ levels around the world have been increasing for many years, but creativity levels started to decline, and that was a function really of um, education systems in a lot of countries teaching very much to kind of tests. And uh, the thing that made in a lot of countries very, very creative and the citizens very, very creative um, mm-hmm. that kind of got changed a little bit uh, at the, the start of the century. Um, and now actually what they're discovering is, you know, you don't have to just take it from me. You go to people like Jack Ma, who's the founder of Alibaba, mm-hmm. the richest man, one of, the, kind of his company's one of the pioneers in artificial intelligence. And he said, don't bother trying to compete with machines on things they could do better, faster and cheaper. You need to focus on that one advantage that you have as a human, which is your creativity your curiosity, your ability to innovate. So actually it's kind mm-hmm. of now coming full circle. And so, so I get, you know, some of the big com- companies the will bring me in because they're doing amazing things on things like artificial intelligence. But then they are really asking themselves, well, what is the role of the people in our organization? Mm-hmm. What skills do they have? What do they need to have in order to survive and thrive in this new age? And, and that's that's the kind of the, the point that we're at just now. And I, I don't see, I mean, I, I'm generally pretty optimistic about um, things like AI, um mm-hmm. i think it's obviously will create a lot of jobs will disappear over the next few years but there will be a lot of new roles created and i'm really interested in that symbiosis of how humans plus machines are working together
0: it's uh, it's interesting you mentioned creativity declining is that still on the decline or is that has that been uh, been rectified it's changing in different places actually it was it was very encouraging to see
1: in india uh, they had a education um, system that was churning out lots of engineers lots of mbas but they weren't Mm. necessarily churning out like for example mbas that were creating massive businesses that were transforming things um and so they're interesting about five years ago they actually started making a change and they realized we need to create a more holistic education system um Mm -hmm. one that focuses not just on teaching what we call stem you know uh science technology engineering maths but so science technology engineering Arts and maths, um, mm-hmm. and so it was. It was making things more. Full. So actually, I think there's a lot of good things that are going on there. The the Nordic countries have always been very good. Singapore is, is is very good. America, um really, under the the first Bush administration, they had a policy called No Child Left Behind, and that's really when you started to see the decline in levels of creativity. And so, mm-hmm. what a lot of companies have had to do is they've really had to almost be backfilling. And I, I speak to a lot of CEOs and senior HR people, and they say, you know, we bring in these freshly minted MBAs, uh, or accountants or lawyers, and they, they, they mm-hmm. have a certain set of skills, They know, book, your know, book knowledge, but we now need people to come up with the ideas, they're going to grow our yep. business and think more laterally, and more creatively. Um, and that's the bit that companies are now really investing in.
0: I think it's um, it's it's fascinating and also fantastic that that the businesses are starting to be sensible about this. I remember, you know, going into life as well I was a, my first career as a chartered accountant, and you know there was very much a mentality of uh, you're at work, and it, there was a lot of presenteeism. Um, you know, jacket on the back of the chair to prove you there early and all that sort of crap. Um, but people stayed at their desks, they ate at their desks, they left their, their you know went to went home, came back, sat at their desks. And there's been that big shift in in cha- in in work environments i guess as well where people are actually discouraged from sitting about they're encouraged to move around you know yeah. you going to Into the big, you know, you mentioned some of the big, uh, the the high techs and stuff, and you you know, with with playrooms and stuff like that. Um, But I go into loads of businesses, James, where they've got pool tables and beanbags and playstations, (laughs) and no one dares near go go near the damn things. Um, They're almost, you know, they collect dust.
1: Yeah, there is. I mean, you you come from the world of accounting, and uh, one of my clients is EY, formerly Ernst and Young, um, and they've been doing a very interesting thing. I was speaking for their global uh, partners and legal the other day in Barcelona. And they have a new thing called Wave Space now, right? which is um, they have one, um, Madrid, Antwerp. I think London now has one. They've got them all around the world. And what, what it's doing is it's cr- they're creating spaces where they can bring clients into to display information in a, in a much more interesting way and to uh, essentially brainstorm and, and, and discuss ideas on ways to how to grow their business how to become more tax efficient or whatever the thing may be. Um, So actually, you know, the the, the accounting world is a a, a really interesting one for this because, you know, if you look at the role of the bookkeeper, for example, that has a 98% chance of disappearing over the next few years because of automation, because we have things like zero now and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you you don't need bookkeepers in the same way. And so a lot of accountant, accounting firms think, well, what is our role? And what I think you're starting to see now is the accountant has always had a role, certainly with the small business and the entrepreneur of being Mm -hmm. that trusted advisor. And you're actually seeing, and I think this is a very interesting thing, where you're seeing a lot of the big accounting firms saying, we will actually be your trusted advisor on your digital transformation. And so these companies, if you look at a lot of the the revenues, the growth is coming from, it's in the advisory uh, services, it's the consulting services, Mm -hmm. not necessarily in the traditional audit. Um, And so that's a perfect example where I'm working with a lot of uh, big accounting firms and accounting networks where they're now having to completely rescale, retool and really think about, well, what is our role now as accountants is not just to do the annual account type thing anymore, Mm -hmm. it's to think much more creatively, much more innovatively about how we can grow your business.
0: Do you know it's a really interesting thing because the stereotype of an accountant certainly isn't what you've described there. <laughs> I mean I, I left the <laughs> I've been being being a child, I still pay my subs, even though I haven't I left the profession in 1997, James. But um, you know, as is it's an it's an organ it's, it's an industry where um which is misunderstood in many ways. I think it's the same for most professional services businesses. Um but that business advisor thing, when I was training, you know, we were accountants and business advisors. Mm. There was very little business advice that went on and it's interesting to me that still that's the case in lots of businesses they sell themselves in that way but they don't provide that extra level of service that actually makes the big difference to people yeah and when you talk about creativity in businesses though what is it what can what difference does it make um, well, you can use it in different ways. Creativity is
1: just a tool, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creative thinking is a tool. And I, I go in and I work with uh, senior leaders, which is often more about the culture, developing more creative culture in the organization and breaking down barriers, breaking down silos, especially across global offices of a company. Uh, so for example, the other day, I was working with one of the top 10 legal firms in the world. Um, and this was all their intellectual property, senior partners, managing partners. And okay. for them, there's, there's like, for example, there's amazing things going on in the Tokyo office, but they're not telling people in the New York office about this. Right. So, and they're not sharing the, the what's kind of going on. And so what we do in groups like that is it's really about helping them do more creative collaboration, how they can work across and cross teams, cross culturally as well. Um, with more middle management or kind of employee levels, it's just about teaching it a simple set of tools that anyone can use becomes a common language in the organization for better generating, developing, and executing on new ideas. Now, those new ideas could be it could be to launch new product or service to grow you know, to grow revenues, but you can also use these tools to do things like uh, reduce costs. You know, there's, there's a there's an idea now about cost evasion. Um, where, you know, often innovation has always been focused on in the past about generating revenues. Um, mm-hmm. I just spoke for uh, a company the other day, uh, Reckitt Beckheiser, who make a, a lot mm-hmm. of very well-known products in people's homes and health and products, home household products. Um, and what's fascinating about them is they're using creativity and, uh, across the whole value chain of products. So everything they're thinking about, how can we, in a more creative way, reduce the uh, packaging weight and costs for there how more creative right. way can we get our customers to be buying in larger quantities or re- rebuying in a more frequent manner how can we mm-hmm. have creativity to uh, reduce our environmental impact uh, and so we're not using so many dyes in our printing material mm-hmm. for example right. so that i mean these are just different examples of how you're seeing it. and i mean i one of the great things and i know you're, you're the same as well one of the great things about our jobs is as speakers, and uh, we get to go and we see so many different industries. So we have a, a kind of unique perspective, because mm. there's very few jobs I would say who get this type of view within organisations. And you know, many of the organisations I go into, I sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, um, and sure. I get to see inside of really what's going on in in those businesses. And it's fascinating because you can see. Just try so teach you. I, I did one the other day for uh, with a bank in South America, and I just a mm-hmm. very simple technique, creative thinking technique. They they took about ten minutes. They thought about a particular challenge they were having, which had, we had to do with loans approvals for uh, mid-sized companies. That right. one thing that they learned, they they did something, and they figured they came up with a plan to do something which will probably save them about seven hundred thousand dollars next year.
0: Goodness, that's it amazing. Isn't
1: it? But you know, it was just a very simple, just taking that time. Because you already have in your organization, you already have the knowledge. And the sad thing is, most people when asked, like 60% of the population would describe themselves as not being creative. Yet we know that creativity is going to be in the top three job skills by next year, by 2020. So this is a big disconnect.
0: You mentioned you mentioned that before about changing jobs, and I don't, I can't remember what the quote I saw was. That you know, school age children today, you know, half of them will be doing jobs that don't exist yet. Mm, yeah. um, is that part of the change that you're talking about?
1: Yes, I mean, I think you know, let's say uh, my my parents' generation, they would have um, they would have worked at a company, one company, and they would have gone through maybe multiple jobs within that company. They were started as you know, there and then you've got maybe to manager and gone that way. Um, in mm-hmm. my generation, we will have gone through work through multiple companies, but often, let's say, if I if I have a specialism in marketing, I'll go and work over the course of forty years in different marketing roles in different companies. Mm-hmm. But today, yep. it's completely different. Uh, so you're going to have, I think, you're going to be seeing this this uh, learning, unlearning, relearning thing. The pace of this is going to increase. So I think you're going to start to see. A lot more where someone will go and work with in a business or start their own business, they'll they'll develop a set of skills, they'll learn about something, they'll really go into it for maybe five, seven years, then they'll basically mm-hmm. have a period of time where they're reskilling because that job doesn't exist anymore or that that role doesn't exist anymore. And they're gonna have to then move. So you can see people going through not just multiple companies, but completely different types of careers. And this is very mm-hmm. interesting because then, for example, in the world of insurance and, and uh, life insurance and things like that, where you're going to see a lot more people taking what we call mini retirements. So rather than waiting till they're 65 to retire and set a golf course, you're going to see people working hard five, seven years, and then taking a year to three years off to completely reskill, retrain, and then go back into that cycle again. Now, to do that requires obviously creativity. It requires ability to, you know, really good understanding of learning, understanding how you learn metacognition. But actually, the most important thing is it requires resilience. Um, And this is the thing that some schools I see are doing very well teaching their students now about how to be resilient in this world because things are changing at such a pace, such a clip. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to become more resilient. And so that's a that's a key skill now.
0: When you talk about those mini breaks and that reskilling thing, the, the, the big flag that flies in my mind is what happens to experience? Mm. because you know at, at having spent majority of my life you know helping recruitment businesses and being a recruitment consultant and running them and all that sort of stuff you look at it and, and a lot of the time um you're recruiting for the background and experience or breadth of experience of people within an area mm-hmm. how does that then change in in the the environment you described well
1: i think uh, you can have a mixture you'll you'll have in, in japan they have an expression they're called takumis. Um, so in in the West we have this idea of the 10,000 hours made famous by mm, Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, um, which you know uh, whether you believe in that or not, it's obviously got it's got a lot of traction. In Japan they mm-hmm. have a concept called takumi, which is the equivalent of someone doing like 30,000 hours. And if, right. if you go to the Lexus factory, the car factory in in Tokyo in in Japan, there's mm-hmm. uh, a number of these people they call takumis. They stand at the very end of the production line. And literally what they're doing is they're running their hands along the car. They're feeling right. the car. They're looking at, these, looking at these minute things and say, okay, that, that wing mirror is off by two millimeters. Or oh, this thing here is just not, doesn't quite feel like it has, it feels like the suspension should be a little bit lower. So, th- so that kind of level, like that mm-hmm. 1% of people that are really super skilled, I think there's, there's going to be even greater demand for them. However, yeah. what we think, you know, we put down to experience just by the sheer fact, I used to live in Napa in California and, mm-hmm. you know, they have these winemakers. Uh, I spoke to one winemaker who'd been in the business for 30 years and he said, you know, it sounds really impressive uh, that you've you've been in the business for 30 years and you wouldn't have lots of experience, but really, you've just had 30 seasons. <laughs> you know, right. you know it's, it's not really, you've not done, like, yeah. done it like 100 times every 10, every year. You basically just had 30 uh-huh. years. So you're seeing companies, for example, like um, Ray Dalio as a famous hedge fund, um, uh-huh. and what they do is every single meeting now in the organisation, with the exception of HR meetings, uh, pay review things, they're all being videotaped, recorded as a camera up in the up in the corner of the rooms. Uh, it's all being fed mm-hmm. into an artificial intelligence. That means that first of all, it means anyone can can type in a keyword it'll pull up any meeting that's had that does that, that thing's been discussed because automatically being transcribed but really what they're doing is they're training an in artificial intelligence to understand how these great fund managers make decisions now you would say that's experience that's institutional knowledge management for example but a machine mm-hmm. is getting to know that a lot more so it's like one of these strange things where i actually think for example in the world the doctor is much, a much greater chance of disappearing than the role of the nurse, because the role of the doctor is someone presents, they, they have this thing, and you say, okay, I believe it to be this, and then you give them this medicine. Now, that's perfect for a machine to do, frankly, and in and if you suddenly get a new piece of data comes in, rather than having to train five million doctors, you just press mm-hmm. a button. Every single AI around the world knows that information now, knows that issue, and knows what, what the causes are, knows what the prognosis would be a nurse however is having to do some of that but they're also having to physically lift a patient they're having to have huge levels of empathy spending a lot of bedside manner there's all doing a whole bunch of other tasks around Mm -hmm. it as well and what you'll see is those jobs that require that have not just experience but they're doing lots of different types of tasks that's much harder for an artificial intelligence to do um, so it's going to be a strange thing. We're going to some of those jobs you think will disappear, might not necessarily disappear. And those ones you think are really safe and not necessarily that safe.
0: The doctor thing's been talked about a lot um, over years and years. I, I take a a great interesting is my dad was a gp before, you know, during his life and um you know he always said no 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 because a doctors a different thing i think that's changed uh, certainly with with the the pressure on on gps to to see you in and out in such a period of time and the the consultative part seems to have have disappeared how do we help Our our new employees learn that empathy, or tune into the empathy, and tune into the creative side of their roles. What can employers think about when they're bringing people on?
1: Well, so this might sound a little bit strange on the empathy thing. I think people should read more fiction, Um, and it's it's one of the challenges. I I find myself doing this: is you you go and do your MBA, you do your business and studies, and you're in business, and so a lot of business or the books that business people read are non-fiction business books mm-hmm. or maybe biographies. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Those don't teach you empathy, those books. Um, yeah. uh, you, I, think it, it's, it's, I think that's why art is very powerful. Um, you know, reading books where you can actually feel you get inside the skin of someone else who maybe comes from a completely different background to you that's mm-hmm. where art is very powerful or theater is very powerful poetry is very powerful. So I think that's the first thing, you know, if, if you've been maybe a little bit like me over the years and I was very much in just like nonfiction, every business book that came out, I was reading it every yep. Uh, yep. biography of every great business person, great statesman, I was I was reading it. When I started to change and really start to read different types of books and books about places I know nothing about people I know nothing about. I think that increases levels of empathy when it comes to creativity. I think it all goes back um, to asking questions and, and curiosity. Um, okay. And so this is something you can develop in yourself, how to be more curious. And it's a, it's a funny thing. You know, when we're kids, you know, if you spend time with a five-year-old, they're going to automatically do the Toyota Five Whys. Why? Why? Why, <laughs> why? 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 They're going to do it automatically. But what happens yeah. when they go to school, that curiosity starts to get knocked out of them. And then they have peer groups and it gets knocked out of them again. So one yeah. of the strange things, the more senior you become in an organization, you're expected to have all the answers. And I think that needs to change now. I think that needs to change that those more senior people. They, they just have better questions as well.
0: When you mentioned that before, you mentioned uh, about schools and, and learning. Um and I, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my, my boy's now in year eight. Uh, he went from a, a local primary school where he was very happy into a into a bigger school. He's in an independent school, and the style of learning with them is completely different. Um, and there's a lot more of more questioning, well, asking the children to to question. So, for instance, one of the uh, the things he did, they wanted him to talk about a, a great um, pick a historical figure to interview. Um, and instead of saying, you know, learn about the historical figure, it was all about, you know, what would you like to ask them and what do you think they would like to tell you? And there was a lot more thinking around the individual and what they'd done and the business they are in. Ben chose um, Enzo Ferrari, which was a great delight for me. Um, but it was a totally different way of learning. Um, and when I look at that and look at how we work with people in businesses, a lot of the time we do just say to them, this is how you do it, this is how I do it. And I know when I – I mean, I am I mentor in a lot of businesses and, and that's not my purpose. My purpose is to ask them and help them find good solutions that work for them. Do you think we could do a bit more of that? Do you think we could teach in a better way earlier? And are, and are schools and businesses starting to, to see the benefits?
1: Yeah, so I think that with um... – I think, you know, let's say the role of the manager, um, you go through those different phases with an employee, for example, where initially you're you're, you're having to very much uh, show them kind of everything almost. You know, you're, you're having like, and then the role gradually changes. Um, it changes then to a little bit more like an advisor. And then it can kind of actually then actually really changes into a coach um, where, you know, the role of, of great coaches is asked. Is to ask great questions. There was, there was, there was mm-hmm. the uh, there was a great Voltaire quote, we said, judge a person by their questions, not their answers. Um, mm-hmm. Or something like Einstein always said, You know, if he had an hour to solve a problem, he would spend the first 55 minutes thinking about what the question should be, and framing the question, and then he'd be able to solve it in five minutes. So I think there's, there's uh-huh. a number of things in, in both in schools, and, I, and I've done this with educators, public and private educators um, in South America. Mm-hmm. I've also done it with companies as well. It's actually the same tools, which is about getting them to ask better questions. People like Hal Gregerson who's a great writer from, uh, um, I think he's from MIT in, in the States. Um, he wrote a wonderful book recently all about asking better questions. Um, so this mm-hmm. is something you can you can just become better at, frankly. And it, it, it is kind of odd because when you start doing this, you think, why have I not been doing this before? Um, and, and, and part of the other reason is just it's often been knocked out of you. So, you know, just just going into, um, you know, a very simple one here is, I call it the 10 minute rule. When I, I speak to companies or I speak at conferences or I train companies, um, we call it the 10 minute rule, which is basically to spend the first 10 minutes of any brainstorming or ideation session generating questions not generating solutions. If you go in, you spend the first 10 minutes generating questions, there's questions after questions from all different angles, often you'll find that the problem that you thought was a problem is not the real problem. And it will definitely push you into a more strategic level to think about it. And you you may um, come at it from a very different perspective than the one you came before. So just even just like, let's say, you know, you're setting your goals for next year or you're, you're, um, you're, you're doing your, your planning session for the next quarter. Just start, rather than coming up with like, okay, we should be doing this, we need to be focusing on this goal, these metrics, just start generating questions, 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 and it'll take you in a slightly different direction.
0: I absolutely love that idea. You mentioned simple tools earlier that people can do. I mean, obviously, that's that's a, a great tip. What other simple things could they be doing in their businesses?
1: Well, here's, here's a strange one. Um, but this is just backed up by science is that the colors that you have around you can affect your levels of creativity um i, I was i was reading that actually i've just been reading a a, a john le Carre book and uh, and i thought oh, i'd be interesting that he was a writer he writes a lot about kind of espionage and things like that He's a wonderful writer mm-hmm. um and i was i'd be interested in like what is his daily practice what is his rituals for writing and in his case he gets up very early he kind of writes, starts writing in the morning, and in the afternoon, he goes for a walk and then a uh, long walk, comes back, has some dinner, has a glass of whiskey, and after dinner, he'll sit and look maybe for 30 minutes at what he's been written during the day, and then he'll kind of go good to sleep on it. Everything that he just did there is making some of the best uses of what we know about creativity and how the brain works. So the first one is color. Um, um, there was a a fascinating study done by the University of British Columbia and also by the University of Berlin where they found that different levels of different colours will affect your levels of creativity and what you do in different ways so for example the colour red is the best colour to have around you if you're doing work which requires high attention to detail so if you're doing your tax returns you want to have that colour red around you but what they found is the best colour to have around you if you're looking to generate ideas is the Mm colour green it's one of the reasons we get often our best ideas when we're out walking in nature and that color green is all around you. So if someone's listening to this just now and they're, they're saying that their workspace, do you have that color green? Are you looking out in windows to green? Do you have plants around you that are green? They're activating that part of the brain, which is about being expansive thinking. So that's a very s- simple little, little creativity hack as well. Um, so that, I mean, that, that's 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 one there. The other one that's... Uh, that someone like uh, John Lacari used there was what we would call preloading. And they teach at a military school at West Point in America, which is asking yourself a a, a simple, powerful question about two hours before you go to sleep at night, and then essentially sleeping on it. Um, What your brain does is it basically starts to look and solve this, your subconscious kind of starts to work on this. And then when you wake up in the morning, what's going on is your your brain is fuzzy, it's unwound. You're open to unconventional thoughts. So alpha waves are rippling through your brain, directing your attention inwards to remote associations emanate from the right hemisphere. So that's why often you'll get some of your best ideas in the shower in the morning because you've been incubating it right. overnight. So very simple things, just two hours for you go to sleep at night. If you're thinking about a challenge, a problem, ask, put it in the form of a question. Think about that question and mm-hmm. then just kind of forget about it. And the other one is, are you getting out? Are you seeing that color green? Is that color green around you activating that part of the brain? Mm.
0: Do you know, when you, when you mentioned that, I started to smirk. I, I, take, I, I, I have tried to get out into the countryside every day um, if, I'm, if, I'm at, you know, if I'm not working away um, and take the dog out. And it, there is absolutely no doubt that the best ideas come when you are in an area where you can just allow your mind to wander. Yeah. Um, but also one, one thing that I've started to do, James, and you—you know—some people think I'm a bit nuts. Is I've got a pad of paper in my bedroom, and as soon as I come out the shower, I write down yeah. everything yeah. I thought, because I know that I'm going to forget all those brilliant no, thoughts. That, that's a, that's a, no, no, say, oh,
1: say, oh I, I can do this. Oh, yeah, what about this? But then you, you could forget it when <laughs> you've
0: come out. Well, you get back into the routine of life, and the kids need getting out the yeah. door and all that sort of stuff and it all gets away oh, it's been it's been lovely talking to you. we haven't even really touched on ai i don't know we could do another half an hour on that without a, without a shadow of a doubt james but could you leave us and the listeners with just one big thought one big idea one golden nugget something that they could do today and in the years to come to make their businesses so much better what would that be
1: I, I would kind of going back to what we mentioned a bit earlier which was just getting better asking questions. questions 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 and even if you know, the next time you have to sit down, solve a problem, solve a challenge with your team or on your own, spend that first 10 minutes just generating questions. So those could be, like we said, the Toyota five, five whys, why, why, why? Or yeah. the what if, or how, or you know, uh, who? Just generating a series of questions pushes you to one level back up. It will start to train that your brain as well to always be in that questioning, that curious mindset. And then that will have, impacts on you outside of work, uh, you'll actually probably find you'll have a slightly richer life because you're going into the world in a slightly more curious
0: way, like a child. James, thank you so, so much. That's awesome. And it's been really great chatting to you. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, James. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show. And I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, Have a great day. Bye for now.